Hello and welcome to the latest Dairy Dialogue podcast and this is Advent Calendar Window 8 or podcast number 162. Actually, I was informed on Sunday that there is a big online debate as to whether they are Advent Calendar windows or doors. I've always called them windows, but what do I know? I guess technically it's a flap. I'm Jim Cornell, editor of Dairy Reporter and clearly no advent calendar expert. The tree is up at our house, as are the lights. Well, they were up and then down and now up again. And they are set on the extremely irritating mode where the colours flash every second. So it's not really a good look. There's a button that you can press to change the modes, and while one of them is continuous, clearly you need a PhD in seasonal decoration to be able to figure it out. If your ideal Christmas is snow, there's been quite a bit around in many places. There was some on the Isle of Arran, which you can see from the beaches close to here, when it's not raining or snowing, or foggy that is. Some of the sports that I watched this weekend had some pretty bad weather, and it was also a challenge watching, as I had to flip between too many of them. It's rough being a sports fan. I watched some soccer, a bit of hockey, some NFL, and I did see most of the CFL semi-finals, and in Winnipeg, it was minus 18 with the wind chill, which is around zero Fahrenheit. Now, I have many great memories of my decades in Canada, but wind chill ain't one of them. Covid restrictions for travel have tightened again here in the UK, so it's a relief that for once I listened to the voice of reason and didn't go on a trip at the beginning of this month. Other restrictions are starting to take hold as well, so obviously we're not quite out of the woods yet. I keep looking at the 2022 events and wondering which ones I'll be able to go to without having to take tests and wear masks for most of the day. I was in a shopping centre in Glasgow last weekend with my son and it was kind of shocking how few people had masks on. In spite of the fact stores say that you need a mask, we went in one store and we were the only ones with masks on. I thought perhaps I'd woken up in 2024 and it was all over, but it wasn't. 2021 is almost over though and there will be two more podcasts this year, unless of course there's so much news that I have to do one on the 22nd. But I'm really hoping that it's more a case of holding anything over until the first podcast of 22, which is set right now for January the 5th, so I'll only be missing two weeks. That gives me time to recover from Christmas and also spend about eight seconds wondering if I should make any New Year's resolutions before deciding it's not a good idea. I got my first Christmas card in the mail about three weeks ago from a company, and they spelled my name wrong. Got to love those personal communications when they don't even know who you are. I also keep getting emails to take a car in for service that I traded in five years ago. Actually, one of the subjects we'll be covering on an upcoming podcast is cybersecurity, so that will be a good one. Speaking of the podcast, why don't I let you know who's on this week? This week we feature three interviews, and one of them is a little bit longer than usual. We talk to Libor Milosevsky, General Manager at Cardbox Packaging, Henrik Anderson, CEO of Arla Foods Ingredients, and three guests related to the Real California Milk Accelerator, John Talbot, CEO of the California Milk Advisory Board, Fred Schonenberg, CEO of VentureFuel, and Sean Folkson, CEO of the winning company Night Food. And of course, we also have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Charlie Highland at StoneX.
And now it's time to take a look at the news from the past week that you may have missed. The Bipartisan Dairy Pricing Opportunity Act of 2021 has been introduced in the U.S., Beneo announced a major investment in its chicory root fiber facilities in Chile and Belgium, and we had Maxim Foods' global dairy commodity update for December. JK Tech has introduced its integrated smart dairy solution in the UK and Europe. Lactalie Canada completed the addition of the Kraft Heinz grated cheese business, and the Asian Development Bank has supported Indonesia's domestic dairy production. Glanbia Nutritionals is investing in its Irish R&D facility, Simrise has opened an innovation lab in the UK, and on the money front, Heart Dairy received $20 million of investment. FAIR published its fourth protein producer index. There's a new Alpha Laval product called CM Connect, and in the UK, Made Smarter has reached a milestone. In some parts of the world, that might have to be called a kilometer stone. Or not. Anyway, you can read all of these stories and many more at DairyReporter.com. So let's get to our first interview. In the media, we get hundreds of press releases every day. And they use words like disruptive, amazing, tasty, breakthrough, fantastic, and many more. But every once in a while, something does come up that is truly groundbreaking and, to coin a phrase, a game-changer. And that happened recently when Arla Foods Ingredients developed a new technique that saves quite a lot of steps. And that's because Arla Foods Ingredients has created a new technology to separate milk into its different protein components directly from milk. To tell us all about it is Arla Foods Ingredients CEO, Henrik Andersen. So I guess um, the first question would be related to the new fractionation process in terms of how it all works, because it seems like it's quite an exciting new technology. Yeah, no, I agree. And for me, the exciting thing is what it can do to consumers. And, you know, the context of this technology is really very much about how we can address the needs of the most demanding and also the most vulnerable consumers in the dairy industry, because that's actually newborn babies. And you could say for decades, we have been trying to help mothers who cannot breastfeed themselves by developing alternatives based on dairy. And newborn babies are completely dependent on this source of nutrition for several months when they are born. All the solutions we have developed so far depend on using whey as a key ingredient. And whey is obviously a byproduct from cheese making. And because we have very comprehensive process control and extensive quality systems, this is a safe and reliable process. But with this technology, we can now take the next step in developing even better nutrition for newborn babies. Because what we can do is actually to produce infant formula directly from fresh milk in one integrated process without use of any additive in the process. So I think this is the exciting part as it is right now when we speak about milk fractionation. Does it make it cheaper and quicker or is it? Well, it basically means that you go from milk to infant formula in one step rather than using milk to produce cheese. And then from the cheese making, you take the whey and you process the whey into, for example, whey proteins and lactose. And then you take the whey proteins as a powder and add it back to milk. And then you can finally produce what you really wanted to, namely nutrition for a newborn infant. So this is, of course, a very tedious with many processing steps and many additives in the process that has nothing to do with infant nutrition. And that's what we're removing here. 
And so what products will you be able to make directly using this method? Is it just the infant formula or are there other applications well, that, too? That's the focus right now because this is a significant market force to address. So infant formula globally is like a you know, 50 billion euro industry a year. And there's a segment in infant formula based on organic milk, which is uh, growing quite fast. And you could say in other foods, we have a large pool of high quality organic milk that we can tap into. So we can have a rapidly growing supply of infant formula based on organic milk. And so what are the benefits to this method in terms of time, uh, finances, sustainability, but the point is that you go from the milk directly to the end product in one step. So you're basically processing from fresh milk into a final product in, let's say, in one process step and basically in one day. And you avoid all the intermediate steps. So that is obviously saving a lot of time and also providing for a much gentler processing of the milk. So you have a cleaner label because basically you're producing infant formula directly from milk. So that's the raw material, milk and basically only milk. And I guess if it's quicker, it's probably um, takes less energy to process as well in terms of the sustainability and your own carbon footprint. That's what you would think. Uh, and we're still uh, looking into that because there isn't sort of a, an obvious saving in terms of time and energy and processing. And we have to be very sure before we make that claim. But from a pure sustainability point of view, you could say this process that we are proposing here is based on, that's part of the focus is going to be based on the organic segment. So we'll be using organic milk. And I would claim that we're also using an organic in brackets process because it's just a, a lot gentler than uh, the normal processing, which involves many, many steps. It seems like we hear about things that are revolutionary, but I think that this is one of those times when it really is revolutionary. I wonder how revolutionary you think this is going to be for the industry. Yeah, and that obviously remains to be seen. Uh, from my perspective, I think that this has the potential to change the industry. If you think about it, this is really the right way to produce infant formula because you produce it directly from the milk. This is obviously not going to change overnight because there's a very significant asset base in place today to produce infant formula. But I think there's reason to believe that over time, this will become the new standard for infant formula. And is this something that you will be producing the products yourself or selling the ingredients for others to produce the formula? Well, the true benefit of this technology is if we produce the final product for our customers so that we would deliver, you could say, the final products in a can to our customers in their labels. That's where you see the full potential of this. But we could also supply what's called base powders so that our customers could use these for processing in their own plants. And what will the benefits of this be for your customers? Well, if you consider the ultimate solution where we produce the final product, then you will have the ability to talk about a much cleaner label and a product that has been much less processed and therefore is, you could say, truly organic. That's what we are aiming for. And then we are looking into other benefits that we believe we can identify in terms of improving nutritional quality of the milk, but that is still work in progress. And you mentioned that the target is for infant formula. Are there other potential uses for this in things like sports nutrition and medical nutrition? Yes, so you could see one of the things that is happening in this process is that we are separating off quite a bit of casein, let's say the milk protein that you would usually become cheese. So that is becoming a co-product in the way that we are producing here with the milk fractionation. So that creates a whole new market for us in sports nutrition and medical nutrition because we 
have a co-product, which is a very pure milk protein source. And that's something that we are going to market. Uh, it's actually on the market right now. And it gives us the opportunity to offer this also in uh, organic quality. And will there be any impact or will the end consumer see any difference? The difference is that most of these sports and medical nutrition products today that are based on milk proteins, you're using uh, caseinates, which is a very processed milk protein. What we offer here is much more native milk protein, where basically the micellar casein is intact. And that means that also you have all the milk calcium as part of the product of the milk protein. And therefore, you have a much better taste of the final products. So there is a potential to have sports nutrition, medical nutrition in a much better quality, particularly from a taste point of view. And is this already being used in products or when can we start seeing products? That is on the way to the market as we speak. So that will soon be coming commercially available. How long did it take to develop the method in the first place? This has taken a long time. (laughs) It's been very difficult uh, in many ways. And, you know, for a while, it was actually with the intent that we wanted to secure access to whey protein as it is in the milk. And then as we were developing the technology, we found more and more opportunities to make uh, even more interesting products. But it has been many years in the making. All right. And is it something that you can still develop further? Yes. So one of the ideas is that now that we have the opportunity to separate milk proteins in two streams, one with the casein and the other one with the whey protein, then we have these two separate streams that we can use as a raw material for further processing. So that gives us the opportunity to, for example, fractionate the milk caseins into a, for example, a fraction where you have a higher content of the beta casein which is interesting, again, from an infant formula point of view, because the concentration of beta casein in human milk is much higher than what you see in cow's milk. So that's a further development that we expect is going to come on stream in a couple of years. Now it's to another interesting technology, and that's a spoon developed for on-the-go yogurt that isn't plastic. It's called the Carlo Spoon, and it's made by Cardbox Packaging. We spoke to Libor Milishevsky, General Manager of Cardboard Packaging in the Czech Republic, and I first asked for a bit of background on the company. Yeah, okay, so uh, Cardbox Packaging uh, as a group has four locations, two of them in Austria, uh, one of them here in the Czech Republic, where as well I'm based in, and uh, one in uh, United States, in Pennsylvania. All of those uh, locations are concentrated on uh, offset printing and uh, die cutting, gluing and folding cartons and food packaging products for food industry. This is our uh, know-how. This is our, uh, let's say, focus in the whole group of Cardbox packaging. We have, I don't know, more than 250 employees worldwide and with uh, overall revenue this year, more than 40 million euros planned 50 million euros uh, for next year. And I assume that you sell into other countries than just the four countries that you're based in? Uh, Definitely, we are exporting as well as uh, all other plants are also exporting for other markets. Here in Czech Republic, concentrating definitely on European Union markets as well in Austria. 
but exporting abroad. Actually, we are also delivering to maybe what could be interested for you as a dairy reporter. We are exporting uh, to Northern Ireland as well. Our One of our biggest customers is located in Dungannon in Northern Ireland, uh, Grider Packaging Limited, uh, where we are uh, selling our products from this plant in, in the Czech Republic. And I guess one, what we wanted to talk about today was Carlo Spoon. Could you tell me what Carlo Spoon is and why you're uh, saying it's a game changer? Well, Carlo Spoon, it's a spoon made out of uh, 100% recyclable materials. Actually, Carlo Spoon is uh, our answer to ban of single-use cutlery wallet in European Union during uh, 2021. And actually, one of our biggest customers, Grinder Packaging, located in Austria, uh, needed to to replace uh, those uh, single-use plastic spoons. And that's why we have developed the paper one. It has the shape of a spoon, and it's especially actually developed for dairy products, for yogurts, especially. This was actually from the beginning the biggest goal here to develop it for, for yogurts. If you talk about materials, it's made of uh, paperboard, which uh, actually is 100% recyclable. It it doesn't allow you unlimited use. It's paper, definitely. But uh, it lasts a uh, long time enough to be able to eat the yogurt with that and then throw it away uh, in the paper waste. Okay. And does it come inside of the lid? This was actually, on the beginning, the main intention, so that it is delivered together with the yogurt cup, uh, so that you can eat it on the go. Uh, that means you buy in a supermarket, you buy a yogurt, and in the lid is folded the Carlos spoon. I guess you've won, an, won awards for this um, product. What does it mean for the company to win an innovation award? This innovation award from... Uh, European Carton Excellence, this actually, this is uh, something for us. We are very proud about it. I can say that the whole team in, in the plant here in the Czech Republic who was connected to the development is really very proud of, about winning this prize. It shows us that uh, we go good direction. Actually, I, I have to say it's already second time we have won something like that uh, in Cardbox Group. One year ago, we have won uh, in our Austrian plant the Innovation Award as well uh, with uh, Tsutsuko Ice Cream Cup, which was ice cream cup made uh, actually especially for, for ice creams without, uh, without plastics. And additionally, actually, it gives us a possibility to take part on uh, World Star Awards in 2022, which uh, we would like to <laughs> be successful as well here. <laughs> Let's see. So what uh, what does all of this mean for your customers? Well, definitely, definitely winning this award means really good visibility for our customers. I would say is, could it mean that, uh, well, actually Cardbox Packaging is a company you can count with, that guys there are able to develop really something innovative to help you in your uh, situation if you need something. Customers can rely on us. We have a professional team here to be able to do such a things which are awarded afterwards. And how did you develop the spoon? Was it a customer coming to you for a solution or how did that 
Actually, yeah, Jim, this was this was the beginning. The customer Grinder Packaging has come to us, and they have said, "Hey guys, we need another solution uh, because uh, we are uh, selling our lids and cups uh, with uh, plastic spoons, which will be banned, and we need another solution. And you are here. Can you develop for us something made out of the board?" So this was really the beginning, and uh, the Carlos Spoon is actually response to that. Well, actually, the development was full of challenges, I would say, uh, starting from construction because you need keep the lid, uh, keep the spoon in the lid, and as you may know, the lid has in diameter I don't know seven centimeters five, and uh, the the cup is uh, I don't know twelve centimeters deep. So uh, to get uh, into the bottom of the cup, it's challenging. So uh, then we have to think really about uh, about the size, how to make the construction to put it into the lid. So uh, then it's it has come to some uh, folding solution, let's say. Another challenge is like legislations to have uh, everything according uh, according rules, which are on the market wallet materials, because we are making the spoon out of paper, which is uh, actually could be problematic regarding uh, uh, regarding humidity of the yogurt. We have been uh, searching for uh, appropriate board, appropriate materials, as well inks or varnishes used uh, have to be, uh, let's say, suitable for direct food contact, for uh, contact with your mouth and, and saliva. Well, it was not an easy task, but that Development is at the end. Actually, this Carlos spoon is not the first version, actually, uh, of the spoon. We have already developed another one, which was not so sophisticated one, but also convenient and, and useful. And we are actually selling, nowadays, we are selling both variants of, of the spoon. And I guess there's other things as well. You don't want it to be, if it's going to be in yogurt, something moist. You don't want it to kind of go all soggy when you put it into the after a few mouthfuls you don't want it to kind of collapse and you also don't want to be able to taste the spoon when you're eating it exactly these challenges have been also here we have made a lot of tests using and eating a lot of yogurts and other products with the spoon it has to be smooth in your mouth if you if you pull out the spoon out of your mouth. You don't have to feel the taste of the board. Uh, you don't have to smell anything because all of these influences the experience of the consumer. So all of these were uh, tested. And uh, well, I would say the development has taken one and a half year with all those tests. So yeah, quite a lot, I would say. And what, what other advantages are there for a Carlo spoon for the dairy industry? The Carlos spoon is our answer to the to the ban of uh, single-use plastic cutlery wallet uh, within the European Union. So, well, this means if the diary was uh, used to sell uh, yogurts or uh, other products with uh, plastic spoon, uh, now uh, they are able to go ahead with this, uh, let's say, type of product. They are able to sell yogurt with a spoon. If you are talking about sustainability, which is also uh, more and more the topic uh, in in our industry, we are helping our uh, our customers or uh, diaries uh, to reach their sustainability goals. 
by reducing single-use plastics in their products, by reducing the weight of, of the plastic uh, in the product. So uh, this could be also uh, taken as, uh, as an advantage. And then uh, if we are talking about uh, the spoon itself, well, another advantage could be also that the paper spoon can be printed. You can print anything uh, what you want on the spoon. You are limited to the space definitely because you are not able to, to print this, the area uh, to be put into, into the mouth, that, that's clear. On the other hand, you can customize it. You can print out the logo of the diary there. You can uh, print there some, I don't know, messages to the customers. You can use it uh, for marketing uh, purposes as well. So this could be also, also advantage for, for diaries. Yeah, I guess you could put QR codes on for competitions and that kind of thing, yeah. Definitely, definitely. You can also customize it uh, like uh, with, we have some applications for various customers with some unique codes to win some prizes in, uh, in lottery or something like that. So you can theoretically use it also for that. And obviously it's it's good for yogurt. It would probably, would it be good for soft ice creams? Yes, definitely, but not not hard one. Then then you will not succeed. But yeah, as you have said, soft ice creams could be possible as well, or some uh, uh, salads or pasta, something like that. But uh, the use of of the of the paper spoon is uh, possible also in other areas because we can easily adapt the size. We can easily uh, adapt the grammage of the board so how sturdy stays the spoon when, when uh, whenever it's folded so uh, you can make it bigger you can make it theoretically smaller if you want so i guess you're always working on new products and different ways to use your existing products yeah actually we don't want to say that uh, we are thinking out of the box but whenever a customer comes and says uh, hey guys i want something uh, we are always trying uh, to to find a solution our mission is uh, we are packing your dreams. So whenever a customer comes with, uh, with a dream that he wants to pack something, uh, then we are here to support them. Now it's to a couple of familiar voices to the podcast if you're regular listeners. John Talbot, CEO of the California Milk Advisory Board, and Fred Schoenenberg, CEO of VentureFuel, who we've chatted with before about the Real California Milk Accelerator Program, which appears to be going from strength to strength. The third winner has just been announced, and it's a company called Night Food. Before we hear from the CEO of the company, Sean Folkson, I wanted to find out from John and Fred how the 2021 event went. And it's John we will hear from first. Okay, so I guess if we start with the 2021 version, how did that go and how was it different to previous versions? I'll just kick it off here. How is it different? You know, this is our third year. The first one was really more around fluid milk products. Last year was about snacking products. And one of the things that we saw coming out of COVID actually was consumers' increased interest in functional foods. And we got thinking about dairy and dairy fits so nicely into that whole discussion. And we decided to change the objective of this year's contest to dairy products that have benefits related to either performance or recovery. And so that kind of guided the whole direction of this year's contest. 
Yeah, and I think what's interesting is not only we change the theme, we learn every year of things that are better or different that we can we can do. And so uh, there were a couple of new sort of bells and whistles to the program this year. One, we launched uh, an incubator boot camp, which was meant for early stage applicants to kind of benefit from the mentorship program that the eventual cohort gets involved in. Because we started, we started to see so many early stage ideas that are really interesting, but maybe aren't ready to scale yet. I don't have the traction, but CMAB wanted to be a part in helping them get to the next level. So that was new. We put in an investor and retailer day that was a private session just for investors and retail buyers. The idea that then the finalists would have the opportunity to sort of get on shelf or find investment to fuel their growth. So that was also a new that came in. And so by focusing on that, we're really trying to help the earliest part of the the ecosystem and then also helping to commercialize because at the end of the day we're here to drive growth and demand for california dairy so putting those in uh, enabled sort of the last mile step to start to happen which was different than previous years we've done a certainly a better job of preparing the ideas the entrepreneurs for the market you know our first year we were kind of all over the map in terms of you know, just embryonic ideas and some that were actually more fully commercialized. And the process is getting better now at advancing the progress of the ideas themselves and and then getting the right ones together to head off or go head to head. And so from the early stages of the application, when you had all of the entries, how did you narrow that down to the final four as you went along towards the final four? That's often the most fun and hardest part. We get applications from, you know, Australia to Austin, from celebrity chefs to athletes, to dairy farmers, to PhDs, right? So people are attacking this opportunity from lots of different lenses and with varying degrees of sort of sophistication to their business. So part of it is really looking through the lens of, does this have potential to drive demand for California dairy? And by that, be big, like become a big company, a big opportunity. Is it innovative, right? So is it something that is different from what is on shelf currently? We look at the founder team. What is their background? Do they have traction? Where are they going? And then taste, right? Do we think this is a product that is going to be able to get people excited and put it into their shopping cart? So everything from the early applications through to the semifinal judges, through the fan vote, all that is with that lens of those four criteria. Because at the end of the day, you know, we want this to be something, uh, whatever wins or whatever even gets into the program to be products that can scale. And as you mentioned before, John, the focus was performance and recovery, but the final four ended up as all frozen desserts. <laughs> how did how did that happen? Well, you know, we kind of joked about that. You know, it was a surprise to all of us, I think. But, you know, it's a testament to America's sweet tooth, for one. And we saw this in the snacking competition last year. The sweet products just naturally have a little bit of an advantage. But the other thing, I think the underlying insight here is that there is a lot of talk about sugar in the consumer consciousness right now. And there's a lot of concern around finding products with minimal added sugar. So these products have really delivered on that. 
and have not sacrificed at all in terms of taste and texture and experience. And so that was the key. We just ended up with four dessert-like products, but they all had some kind of beneficial functional value there as well. Yeah, and I know you're going to talk to Sean in a minute, but I mean, one of the amazing parts about his company is he hit on what, what I think is the number one functional food or trend in this space, which is sleep. Like when we, we talk to dietitians, everybody from like the nutritionists of the 49ers to folks at DMI early on and sleep just kept coming up as something that the silver bullet, right, to improve your health, everyone came back to sleep. And it was really interesting because at first we were like, sleep, I don't know how that's going to play into this. And so then when we saw Sean's application, instantly we were like, oh, he's actually tackling one of the biggest opportunity areas for all people's optimization. Better night's sleep helps you perform better. It's how you recover. So I, I think the functionality of that might get lost in the fact that it's delicious ice cream, but like he's solving a huge functional challenge. So from what you're saying, John, then 2022, the inside tip is go with something sweet. Well, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I, I think our move is going to be to start to pit some of the sweet companies against each other earlier in the process, just for that reason, because it's, you know, comparing a, a cheese to a, an ice cream is, it's a very hard comparison, but comparing cheeses to cheeses or ice creams to ice creams or, I mean, the, the fun part about this, uh, and I know you've seen some of the, the applications that have come in, but, you know, there were bath bombs made with upcycled milk, right, that restored the energy and helped your body relax. Like, it's a challenge for the judges. How do you compare that to an ice cream across all these different areas? So we're always tweaking this based on the applications that come in and what's out there and, and the opportunities. Before we get to Sean, I just wonder, how did you get down from four to Sean's product? If you look at the judge's comments, I mean, he absolutely nailed it on hitting the performance and recovery objective, as, as Fred said. So it was really kind of hard to deny that. But I think the other thing that was just absolutely brilliant about his whole strategy was the channel approach in terms of working with hotels and potentially airlines as well. That was a unique approach and a really solid strategic ploy. Yeah, I'll echo that too, that you know, I mentioned sort of the criteria with which we look at each company. Uh, all four of the finalists were, were insanely good. I mean, it was a real, it was a tough competition, but Sean unlocked that scale question with the unique retail channel uh, that John mentioned. The taste is outstanding. He had the functionality part crushed. And I think the innovation, right? The, the idea that ice cream can be something that we all want to eat, we all crave it at night. And is there a way to do that responsibly? It, it sort of hit all the nodes we were looking for. And I'll say what's interesting too, that you know, a testament to John and the team at CMAB is all the companies that make it in, not even just the four finalists, but CMAB continues to support their growth. And it's almost become a little bit of an American Idol uh, opportunity too, where obviously Sean crushed it. You've got Sweet Kiwi came in second, but oftentimes we see the third or fourth place teams also do incredibly well in the market. So we view this as like a cohort that we're here to support, but those are the reasons Sean jumped to the front. And like, he also had total mastery of his market and what he does and what's unique. 
And so when we had judges from Coca-Cola and all different sort of huge companies peppering him with questions and like he knew his numbers cold, he knew the opportunity cold. And so, you know, it gave everyone reasons to believe in the founding team as well. Oh, it's a Sean now. Um, first of all, congratulations on winning. And uh, I wonder if you could give me a bit of background on how it all started and how you got to this point. Thank you. I, it's a good thing that this is not on video because I'm I'm blushing quite a bit, I think, from Fred and John just being so kind and, and complimentary. Well, like, like a lot of crazy ideas, I think it started with uh, some, some nights of heavy drinking back in college. And I realized you know, right around my 21st birthday, give or take a year or two, that what you put in your body at night is gonna impact how you feel in the morning. Everybody's familiar with a hangover. You don't really need to do any research about that. And even, you know, drinking different things at night, you know, you could wake up feeling very differently. Also being a, in, in my early 20s, you could feel like you could eat anything. So you, you might have a few drinks and then you would go you know, have some pizza or whatever. And I think the genesis of it was there when I noticed that, you know, I remember one morning very clearly waking up, you know, normally if I had, had you know, more than maybe would be recommended to drink, you know, I would sleep until 11 in the morning or 12 noon. But I remember one morning waking up very alert and it was like six or 6.30 in the morning and I was wondering what was going on here. And, and that became a thing. So it was not infrequent for me. And, and now I know what that is. So we've got some of the leading sleep experts in the world on our team, so I can go to them with this stuff. So, you know, alcohol famously will put you to sleep. It's, it's basically a sedative, but it really destroys and disrupts the quality of your sleep. So I think the first time that I ever experienced that other side of, of alcohol at night where you wake up really early in the morning with this, this rebound effect because of, of what happens with your blood sugar levels, I just found that fascinating. So I got that idea of it's interesting what you put in your body will impact your sleep, but it didn't drive me. I, I didn't think to create a business out of it. I just went about my life through my 20s. You know, I noticed that I was always snacking at night, even when I was not drinking. I was not drinking seven days a week. And I would tr sometimes try to make really healthy choices. And at night, it was just really the most difficult time of day. And I didn't know all the things that we know now. And even when I decided to launch the company, so we, we launched the company back in 2010. I had this, the genesis of the idea was, was almost 20 years earlier. And there were things that happened over those 20 years that would bring the idea to the surface for me. So I had an internet marketing company in the mid nineties. And I remember hearing about the Atkins diet and I tried it for myself. And I remember I wrote a letter to Dr. Atkins saying, Hey, this diet's great. You know, it, it worked for me. I was losing weight, but it's not very convenient. You know, not everybody can has the time to make bacon six times a day. You know, it'd be great if we could have snacks you know, that, that people could carry around or, or meal kits or whatever. And I never heard back. And I, I reached out to a friend of mine who was just launching a food distributor business at that time, 96 or 97. And he said, no, 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 I'm busy with my thing. I'm trying to launch my thing. And, and I was telling him there's this opportunity. There's this thing called low carb. And he was focused on his thing. And I just moved on with my life. And sure enough, five years later, low carb was now a multi-billion dollars category. You know, and you couldn't go down any supermarket aisle without seeing the low carb salad dressing and the ketchup and, you know, low carb bread and everything else. 
and so I realized I missed an opportunity there. And and, and when sometime in 1999, uh, excuse me, 2008 or 2009, this idea of nighttime nutrition resurfaced for me. And I started to do some research and I saw quotes from people like Joy Bauer from the Today Show or Dr. Michael Bruce or the Mayo Clinic. And they were talking about if you're going to snack at night, here's what you should eat. Here's what you shouldn't eat. And none of that information, the information was out there, but there were no products. You know, I, I was somebody that always wrestled with this problem. And I felt like, you know, consumers, it's great to have the information. It's great to have the tips and the tricks. But consumers are called consumers because they consume and they want products. They want stuff they can put in their shopping cart, put in their cap, in their in their pantry, in their, in their fridge and freezer. I felt that there was a great opportunity there. So I divested from the company that I'd founded with my with my other co-founders. And, you know, my wife and I, we we agreed we were going to take the ride. And I didn't have any food industry background or experience. And I didn't have any of the statistics that I was able to present to the judges or, or that I could, you know, cite with you about how big the category is. And there's a billion dollars spent on snacks uh, consumed at night every week. And the most popular choices are literally cookies, chips, candy and ice cream. I didn't know any of those things. I just knew that this was a problem for me and a problem for other people. People were eating unhealthy things at night. What you put in your body impacts your sleep. And there was nobody out there addressing it. So, you know, after time, I just decided that it, that it was going to be my thing because I didn't want to have another experience like what happened with low carb. You know, it's one thing. Everybody has that experience where they have an idea. And then a week or two later, you see a TV commercial or you see it on shelf or you see a Facebook ad. And you're like, those guys stole my idea. And you, you joke around about it and you laugh and you just move on with your life. But that's one thing. It's another thing when you have what's what seems like a multi-billion dollar idea or hundreds of millions of dollar idea. And you're walking around with it for a decade or two and you don't do anything. And then somebody comes along. I was either going to be the guy on the cover of the magazine or I was going to be his number one customer. And that was the decision that I had to make. And and it wasn't easy with my lack of resources and knowledge, but um, I'm glad that I did. And so bridging that gap, how did you come upon ice cream and build on the flavors and, and that kind of thing? So I was a nutrition bar guy. You know, another thing that I left out, you know, a book called Body for Life in the late 90s also was very inspirational to me. And that was a book that recommended, you know, now everybody talks about intermittent fasting, but back then it was, you need to be eating every two and a half or three hours that you're awake or else your body goes into starvation mode. And it was written by a guy named Bill Phillips, who was also the founder of a company called Myoplex. It was a brand of, of nutrition bars and shakes. And so the program was, you wake up, you have a small, healthy breakfast, two and a half hours later, you have a Myoplex shake. You know, then you have a, a two and a half hours later, you have lunch, then you have a Myoplex bar. You have a small, healthy dinner. Then you have another Myoplex bar. So I was eating these bars at night, Myoplex, and it was all I had in the house because I was a bachelor. And so when I would get hungry and I would snack, I would eat these bars. So nights would go on where I would have a bar at like 8 o'clock. I would have another one at, at 1030 or 11. I'd still be awake because I was eating these workout bars, these energy bars, right? These 300 calorie loaded with protein and sugar. And so I was a bar guy. So we launched with nutrition bars and people loved the idea of having a healthier snack that was formulated for better sleep. And they loved the taste of the bars. But I think ultimately when people are digging into Doritos and Ben and Jerry's and Oreos, and now you're trying to get them to switch over to a nutrition bar, that's relatively hard compared to getting somebody who's eating that Ben and Jerry's to get them to switch over to night food ice cream. So 
for years we were trying to make the bars work and we changed the formulation, we changed the packaging, we changed the branding, we changed the messaging. And I always wanted to get into ice cream and other snacks, but we always felt once the bars got to a certain level, we could add other products. And ultimately around 2018, it was obvious the bars were not going anywhere and the opportunity was too big. And I realized maybe the problem is the format. Maybe the problem is that we're trying to get bars into people that are eating cookies, chips, candy, and ice cream. So we took the leap on ice cream and I'm very glad we did. I mean, it was obvious, you know, the bars were like giving an eight-year-old a pet rock and ice cream is like giving that same eight-year-old a puppy. Um, People were just so excited, the media, the retailers, you know, people that wouldn't call us back. So I think um, ice cream was, was always on the roadmap, but it came about almost out of a little bit of desperation, I would say. And how many variants do you have in the range? We, we have nine flavors, eight what I would call mainstream, and one uh, which is pickles for two, which is uh, we are the official ice cream of the American Pregnancy Association. So we decided to bring together the two most iconic pregnancy cravings, pickles and ice cream. But other than that, you know, our top six or seven flavors are all very traditional, you know, vanilla, chocolate, coffee, which of course is decaf. It's our cold brew decaf. Uh, mint chip, you know, we, we we have cute names for all of them, but in, in the interest of time, uh, cookies and cream, uh, cookie dough flavor. So really, we touched on all the mainstream, you know, bestsellers, and then we have a couple more unique, and then the pickle flavor. We've got bed and breakfast, which is an interesting maple ice cream with waffle chunks, and also cherry eclipse, which is cherry ice cream with pieces of cherry and uh, chocolate chips in it. Where is it available? We're in uh, some Walmart stores across the country, almost a thousand Walmarts. We're in uh, some divisions of Albertsons. But, you know, the the big piece that John and uh, Fred touched on is this hotel rollout uh, that's going to be happening in the first quarter of 2022. And we're expecting it to just tear through the hotel space. We've got one major chain that's going to be putting us in and we're in talks with really just about everybody else. Our goal is any hotel that sells snacks, we want night food products in that hotel. And will it be the same size as the ones in the Walmart? So will it be smaller? So what we're launching and what we're working with the CMAB to launch is the night food ice cream sandwich. So the night food pints are what's already in the retailers. And and that's what's going into the hotels as well, is the pints. And hotels sell plenty of pints of ice cream, but they sell even more single serve ice cream novelties. Uh, So ice cream sandwiches, or you know, little cones that are prepackaged. So that's what we want to do. We want to be in multiple snack formats within that hotel. It's going to maximize our revenue. It's going to maximize consumer trial, and it's going to really establish us as the pioneer of this nighttime snack category. Because almost everybody wants better sleep. So many people are snacking at night. We want to have something for anybody that wants to snack at night. Ice cream is my favorite, but we've got other stuff in the works that we haven't uh, launched or talked about yet. Ice cream sandwiches is just one of the other products that's in the works right now. And as far as how it affects sleep, how does that part of it work? Yeah, so what you put in your body at night is going to impact your sleep, as I mentioned before. So there are some culprits, some things that you typically would want to avoid. Too much sugar, too much fat, too many calories. Those are things that are proven to be sleep disruptive. So when we formulated our ice cream, we wanted to make sure to minimize those things. And then there's also things that can be added in or that we can source ingredients that naturally contain these nutrients. So for instance, every serving of night food ice cream contains 100 milligrams of tryptophan. 
It's a lot more than what's in other ice cream brands that we've tested. We've added vitamin B6, which is very helpful for production of serotonin and melatonin, added calcium, magnesium, zinc, prebiotic fiber, which is something that you know Unilever just announced this year that they're looking into how prebiotics specifically within the gut microbiome can help people sleep better at night. So just in the last seven or eight months, both Unilever and Pepsi have announced that they're going to be looking at how can we use nutrition to help people sleep better. So I think the timing for what we're doing is just right. It's very likely with their budgets, they'll come up with something that we haven't either thought of or discovered on our own. And and that's okay. You know, we're not built around an ingredient. Uh, We're built around a problem and a day part. So if it turns out that, you know, there's other stuff that can be added or that could be removed from our products to help people sleep better, we're just going to, you know, it sounds trite to say it now, but we're going to follow you know, follow the science. You know, I do expect our recipes and formulations to continue to evolve. And even so, you know, the same things that might make night food ice cream more sleep friendly than other ice creams, you know, when we're doing night food cookies or night food chips, they're going to be sleep friendly each in their own way compared to the leading brands in that space. I wouldn't necessarily expect night food chips or cookies to be twice as high in tryptophan uh, than other cookies, but they, they might be help, uh, more sleep friendly in a different way. So we're going to follow what the format gives us. Dairy is so perfect in so many ways. At night, grandma always offers up that warm glass of milk and all the, the fairy tales or whatever. You know, it's it's high in tryptophan. You know, it's got protein. It's It's got carbohydrate. You know, so dairy naturally, I think, is a great platform. We didn't have to do that much except strip out you know, some of the excess fat and the sugars that I think are in a lot of other ice creams and and do some other things. And we'll have to get a little bit more creative potentially with some other snack formats, but there's no doubt that what you eat at night impacts sleep. It's very well accepted. And as far as the competition goes, what are your thoughts on winning that? And what's that going to mean for your company? Well, winning was good. It's funny because winning was great. It felt at the time that Fred had paused for seven or eight minutes before announcing the winner. But when I got the link to the YouTube video and I watched it, the pause was very small, but it felt really, really long. And even Fred, I got to tell you, when I was watching the first time I watched the video, I got nervous all over again. Even you know, awesome. even though I knew, right, obviously it's a video. Look, it's a great honor. I thought we were really well set up specifically because the, the timing was very fortunate that this was about performance and recovery. And, you know, there really is nothing more important than sleep to that. So it was a great honor. It was a great experience to go through. We got introduced to a lot of great mentors and and experts in the field. And uh, it was a good learning process. And just really having to also develop the pitch and the story. You know, anytime you have to try to sell something or convince people of something, it really forces you to crystallize your thoughts, understand the value that you're bringing to the table Otherwise, it could just be this whole thing where you're just kind of all over the place. So it allowed me to really focus kind of the value proposition and why we thought we were the best. And even there were drastic changes in our presentation from the semifinals to the finals, just based on the feedback uh, that we received. So it was a great experience to go through that and help crystallize aspects of the of the launch strategy and the business plan. In terms of what we're going to do, I mean, we've now got access to obviously the cash prize, but also just all the resources that uh, the California Milk Advisory Board brings to bear. You know, we're expecting to be able to find the perfect co-packer for this project. 
It's going to be a little bit different, you know, in terms of how we utilize the prize money. I think if we were expanding into supermarkets, there are typically existing structures of what you can do. You know, there's in-store demos, there's coupons, there are end caps or, or things like that that are just very common in the supermarket and it's available and you just It's almost like some of these chains have catalogs. Here's the different programs you can do. It's not going to be like that when we're talking to the hotels, right? You know, there's no demos, there's no coupons. So, you know, we're already talking to to our partner chain about different things we could do, whether it's branded key cards or, you know, something special for their rewards points members. Um, So we're going to have to get creative because we want that money. And I know I think the CMAB wants that money to go to marketing initiatives. Uh, so there's a lot of different things we can do in room, you know, table tents that could let people know, hey, if you're feeling like you want a nighttime snack, you know, we've got night food in the lobby. To me, the message is this. The hotels have spent so much money recently. And when I say recently, I mean the last 20 years or so upgrading their beds, their blackout curtains, their white noise machines. They have pillow menus at a lot of these hotels, earplugs and eye masks. But they've got all these different things and they've invested, I don't know, hundreds of millions of dollars in with the beds. It's, it's in the billions, certainly the heavenly bed and, and the, the serenity bed and, and all of these different beds. And to me, the message that the hotel should be giving their guests is we've thought of everything. We know you want a good night's sleep. You know, J.D. Power tells us that good sleep is really important to somebody's satisfaction level at the hotel. If I'm in that hotel, I'd have signs in the elevator. I'd have signs at the front desk. We've thought of everything. We've got the best beds in the industry. You know, you've got blackout curtains. And now, even if you want a snack, we've got snacks that can help you sleep better too. I think that's a huge opportunity for our hotel partners. I think ultimately that opportunity is going to go away. You can only surprise and delight a little bit until everybody in the industry is doing it. And then it becomes an expectation. That's what I think is going to happen with night food in hotels. There's going to be that window of opportunity. It's going to become an expectation. But with the prize money and the resources that we have, we want to kind of turn it from a surprising amenity into something that's expected as quickly as we can. And we want to accelerate that process. And that's what we're figuring out how to do. What does it mean for the other competitors this year that didn't win? How are you helping them in terms of their prizes? Well, I'll let Fred talk about the structured part of it with our second place winner. Um, but I think he also referred to some of the other semifinalists, even those that didn't get into the finals. We're working with them on their ideas, trying to connect them with retailers, trying to connect them with you know potential distributors out there, helping with formulation or you know, marketing plans or, or whatever, doing whatever we can to make them successful. Yeah, I think second place prize is a pretty darn good runner up prize. It's $100,000 of marketing and support, which Sweet Kiwi won. Obviously they'll get the most help right next next to Sean and Night Food. Uh, but from there, I mean, I think what's, what's amazing about how CMAB has structured this is that there's an open door to everybody that, that was in the cohort to connect, whether that is for marketing help, whether that is connections. And we, we take the same approach at Venture Fuel. We, we talked about last year, uh, Sach Foods, which was like an organic paneer. I think it came in third place. They've gone on to get tremendous distribution. They've been written up in Fast Company, Bloomberg, New York Times. 
and just, you know, their retail footprint. They started the program in a studio apartment, making the paneer from their house. And now they're, they're in a really interesting spot where we're talking to their founders about what investors do we know that can maybe invest in their next round or distributors and all, all the things John mentioned. So I think what's really cool is this becomes a little bit of a, almost like an alumni situation where we're all trying to help each other open doors uh, and support anyone that comes into the ecosystem. And so where do you go from here? Will there be a 2022 version and how does it all fit into the big picture of California milk? Well, that's certainly the plan. The theme for next year is yet to be determined. But again, I, I think we'll go along with what's topical in the market and what consumers are concerned about. And um, we'll find new ways to innovate with California dairy. I can't wait. I mean, I think what's so exciting is the need for innovation becomes more and more important uh, each passing day. And so this program, we've just picked up so much momentum, which is great. I mean, the enthusiasm about it, the different universities that know about it, the different uh, executives that have been judges that have now submitted ideas on the side. It's really, really cool. And there, there's just so much momentum. So we, we can't wait to see where we're going to focus and what new ideas we get exposed to next year. Now it's time for our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Charlie Highland at StoneX. Morning, Charlie. Hi, Jim. It's been an extremely volatile week in the dairy markets, in Europe in particular. From a fundamental point of view, there hasn't been a lot of new news out. Um, I mean, we did have a GDT auction uh, this week, which was actually lower than expected. Um, the auction itself ended up up about 1.4%. But in general, the market was expecting increases of somewhere between 2 and 4%. And what we see where the, where the real kind of drop-off came from was mostly on the whole milk powder side, which was still up, but it was only up 0.6%. Uh, this looks uh, like it was due to a step back from China in terms of their participation on the GDT. They bought a lot less in, in percentage terms than they normally would this time of year or also than they did in the previous auction. So so that was, um, you know, a bit of a bearish signal on the market, but it doesn't seem to have been enough to slow down the rises in prices um, in Europe in particular. On the GDT, just to finish on that, the other products, I mean, the fat still looked quite strong. Butter was up about 4.6% and, and AMF was up about 3%. And the follow-on in Europe is we continue to move higher in terms of prices here. And we've, we've now printed up to some very high historic levels where quarter one of next year for butter has just traded this morning here at 5,800 euros. Now that's up considerably from this time last week. And it's, it's getting up to levels now with, with skim milk powder trading 3380 today in quarter one as well it's getting up to a situation where the milk equivalent prices are starting to look very very strong into quarter one and quarter two of next year which in theoretical terms at least with very strong milk prices should stimulate uh, additional production on farm level and that's i think the the big debate that's happening at the moment is is will that actually materialize um obviously on farm level the, the costs have been increasing significantly um and over the last number of months with energy prices and fertilizer prices and labor prices all increasing rapidly but still with these high commodity prices it looks like the margins should still be quite comfortable and profitable if the milk price gets up early next year to where these commodity prices are pointing to but right now um 
you know, even though the, the GDT was slightly bearish, the sentiment in Europe is still very much bullish with prices continuing to print higher day by day. Thanks, Charlie. We'll hopefully catch up with you again next week. StoneX provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that does it for this week's podcast. A rainy end to the week here, as well as a bit of snow and wind and pretty much everything else. So it looks like, unless I feel like getting wet, it will be another home-based weekend. Minus the weekly grocery shop, of course. I've tried the delivery service, but half the time they substitute things I don't want and miss other things, so it's easier to just go in and do it myself. And that way I don't get half mouldy strawberries or a squash that's the size of a banana. I guess as it stopped raining for about five minutes, this is the time to go outside and figure out which one of those hundred settings on the lights is the one that doesn't flash out of control. No doubt it will be the one before last. I remember doing that to change the DVD player code to get it to accept different regions of DVD, where you enter a three-digit number on the remote until it makes the DVD accept all regions. It doesn't work for all DVD players, but after a quick internet search, I discovered that for this particular model, it does work. And of course, you guessed it, after entering all of the codes from 000 all the way up to 999, the number that changed the code on mine was 971. By the time I got to number 200, I think I'd seriously considered looking up what the world record is for how far you can hurl a remote, which I wouldn't have been able to break anyway. I think I came last in the regional shot put when I was in school. And that's mainly because the person that was supposed to be doing it was ill, and I was there doing the sprints, and they needed the points from having somebody actually participate in the event. I'm not sure that they got that many. So that was another in the long list of less than stellar memories. Anyway, wherever in the world you may be, I hope you will join us next time and that you'll stay safe, take care, have a great week, and, as always, thanks for listening.